Welcome to the Bible Foundations program. We're delighted to have you with us again today, and we thank you for spending time with us talking together about God's Word, about what God has to say to you and I today. This is the most important message that you and I will ever have given to us. God thought it was so important that he had it recorded by 40 special men. They were called prophets. All but one of them were Jewish, and all of them were men who had a heart to know God themselves. They looked at the record. They looked at what had been passed down to them, and they said, yes, I believe in their very hearts, and God knew that, and he allowed them then the sacred trust of recording the scripture for you and I so that we would know what really happened right from the beginning of time. The Bible is a true historical record, but it's so much more than that. It's the account of God interacting with his creation, with you and I, with our ancestors, my friend. And we can know how to respond to God today by how our ancestors respond and failed to respond. And it's important that we understand these foundational truths of God's word as we complete our picture uh, giving a panoramic view in chronological order of how God revealed himself to you and I, clear from the beginning of time and before through today, through now where you and I live. As we work and as we carry on our family life, God gives us the instructions that he wants us to know so that we might relate properly to him. Our last time together, we were talking about the flood in Noah's time. And we concluded with realizing that all of the people except the eight in the ark were drowned in that great flood. Now, folks, once again, the flood is a historical fact. It happened. There's more evidence to that than any other one point in history. And it's certainly a pivot point of men's studies in archaeological studies. And they found things that confirm that the earth was once covered with water. And so we believe the record, first of all, because God gave it to us in the Bible, and his word is true. He does not tell lies. He tells us what actually happened. And so the Bible is an accurate record of what has taken place in history. Oh, it's so important that we understand that the attitudes of the people in Noah's time parallel just what our attitudes seem to be, by and large, in our uh, world today. You see, the attitude uh, in Noah's time was that of selfishness and violence. People were obsessed with sex and marriage and only pleasing themselves. You see, many of these attitudes prevail still today. Refusal to acknowledge God, thinking only about what's good for me, what's in it for me, what's the advantage to me, how can I best put myself forward and gain all that I can in this life. We are continually and actively pursuing all kinds of evil, adultery, and various kinds of, of illicit relationships, relationships that God does not approve of. We're bent on taking that which is not ours, or stealing, if you will, and murder seems to be a growing way of our life. It's all around us. We can't even watch TV in an evening without seeing many, many murders. In fact, a recent study showed that if there were as many murders on TV in a week or in a year as uh, they portray there are, that our country would soon be annihilating itself. Well, God continues to speak and bring reproof today as he did directly to those people in the time of Noah, 
telling them to change their mind, to change their attitudes, and come to God in faith. That's what he wants from you and I. That's all he wanted from those people back in the time of Noah. You see, it's God's Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who reminds people of God's Word, the Bible, and wants people to, con serious, to con seriously consider and believe what God has written in the Bible. Before the flood, God had spoken through Noah and warned the people that God's patience was running out and that he would destroy all the people and all things on the earth. It's important that we remember that Noah was a sinner too. He too deserved to be punished by God, just as the other, other people would be. What was the difference? You see, the only reason that God saved Noah is that he agreed with God that he was a sinner. Noah believed God and trusted God to save him through the promised deliverer. In Genesis chapter 6, we see that God told Noah exactly what was going to happen. And he gave him the warning and he told him what he wanted to do. You see, God did not just tell Noah that a flood was coming and he should go do something about it. No, God in his love and care for humanity and his uh, assured preservation of his word and promise of the deliverer, God gave Noah clear instructions on what he wanted done. He told him to build an ark, and he told him just how the ark had to be built. God gave him just exactly the dimensions it was supposed to be. And isn't it interesting to understand that until this century, and uh, there's no record of a ship being built that large all the way from the time of Noah clear to this century. You see, in that day, man did not have the the understanding to build a large ship of this nature that would take Noah and his family and all the animals into the ark. But God knew how. God knows everything, you see. He knows all about people. He knows what's in our hearts and what's our, in our minds. And he knows what was in the hearts of those people at that time. And he knew what was in Noah's heart. And he saw that Noah was a righteous one. You see, God gave him the reputation of being righteous because he believed him. Now, that's what God says is important. He says it's important that we accept by faith what he has told us about himself and believe the record and the building foundational truths that show us that God keeps his word, that he doesn't change his mind, and that he knows how to do whatever he asks us to do. He knows how to instruct us. You see, he's all-wise, he's supreme and all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's everywhere all at once. He's all-knowing. You see, he's omnipresent, and God was there. God knew what was happening right there at Noah's time, and God showed Noah the remedy. And you know what? Noah did what God had told him to do. Noah just built the ark. He didn't wait around. He started to work, and he took his sons out there with him, and they began to gather the timbers, and they began to gather the pitch, and year by year, if you will, for 120 years, they labored together to accomplish what God had told them to do. For the clock was ticking by, and God's patience was running out. As they were building, Noah was telling people what God had said. He was warning them that God was going to make it rain, and he would cover the whole earth with water. Cover the whole earth with water. A lot of people wonder how that could possibly happen. 
You see, the people of the earth had never experienced rain before. You remember that God watered the ground from a mist that came up from the ground. Can't you just hear them? Oh, no, we've never seen rain. What's rain anyway? Why should we believe you? That was their attitude, you see. The people did not accept what Noah said, and they did not change their attitude. They refused to believe God and to agree with God. God was patient. God waited a long time for people to change their mind. God waited 120 years. 120 years Noah and his family proclaimed that the judgment of God was coming, but people just hardened their hearts and refused to believe him. There were a few who believed, though, and that was Noah's family. It was Noah and his wife and their, his three sons and their wives, eight people. Eight people believed God, and then God told them when it was all ready, when the time had come, they'd gathered the animals now, and he said, we want you to go into the ark. God said, I want you to go into the ark. And when they went in the door, there was only one door to get in. There was only one door to the ark. And now finally, everyone is safely inside. Everyone's safely inside, and God shut the door. God himself shut the door so that all inside would be safe, and those outside the ark would not have an opportunity to enter anymore. They would not have the opportunity to be entered by, enter in by the one door and be saved from the impending destruction. Oh, my friend, when God decides it's time to punish sin, no one can ex escape. No one can escape his judgment. God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And time had run out. No one can escape when God decides it's time to punish sin. So now what does God do? God caused the waters to return that he had placed above the sky. You remember on the second day of creation, he divided the waters from the waters. And then he opened the fountains of the deep. So he had water coming down and water coming up. And not one person outside of the ark escaped death. They were all drowned as the water began to rise. And they fled to the highest peaks of the mountains. But the scripture tells us that 15 cubits of water covered the highest peaks of the mountains on the earth. Fifteen cubits is about the length of your arm from the end of your fingers right to the top point of your elbow. That's about 18 inches. It may vary with the size of the person, but that's the measurement that the Bible talks about when it's talking about a cubit. About one and a half feet to a cubit. So there were over 22 feet of water over the top of every mountain, uh, over the top of Mount McKinley, my friend, over the top of Mount Rainier, over the top of Mount Ararat, and over the top of all of those great mountains of the world. There, Noah and his wife and family and his sons and their wives were all inside the ark, and they were safely in there because God had shut them in. Well, not one person outside of the ark escaped. They all died, but those who believed God were safe, locked inside of the ark because God had shut them in. Now, folks, make no mistake about it. The people predating Noah's time were very skilled people. They were very capable people. But their focus and their purpose in life was solely for self-satisfaction, for self-gratification, and for self-edification. You see, they were very materialistic. 
Oh, they were skilled and very capable, but their thoughts were only on themselves and not on God. They refused to believe God. Because they refused to believe God in Noah's time, men had become totally sinful, and every thought and every intent was only evil continually. They were a godless society, you see. By the way, does this tell you anything about the theory of evolution? You know, the thought that man is continually improving, he just keeps getting better and better. Well, my friend, here's another evidence that man does not just get better and better. He does not evolve. Man was created perfectly by God, and he degenerated spiritually and morally because of his sin. But Noah and his family are safely locked inside. You see, God remembered Noah, and he protected Noah, and he kept him from even falling out of that great ship in such a tremendous storm. Storm after storm, 40 days and 40 nights, it rained, and the fountains lifted that ship up into the waves of the sea and up above the mountains, and God protected them as those storms raged. You see, God is faithful. He never changes, and he's supreme and he's sovereign. He had control over all of the elements of the earth, and we see that God protected uh, Noah and his family as they were in the ark. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, and then we'll read on through verses 14 through 17. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assaged. Verse 2, And the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of a hundred and fifty days, the waters were abated, and the ark rested in the seventh month and on the seventeenth day of the month and uh, upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, my friend, do you see the magnificence of Scripture here? God giving us the record of what actually happened? How would anybody in the ark have known where they were? How would they have known that they were at error at? You see, God created it all, and he tells us how it actually happened so that we could know the truth. Verse 14 of chapter 8 in Genesis tells us, And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee, and bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. God had kept Noah and his family and all the animals in the ark safe. They were kept safe by God. Not one of them died. You see, God remembered them and he stopped the rain. And he sent a strong wind to dry up the water, and the land, dry land, appeared again. And the, you see, God controls the rain and the wind. He controls all of the elements of the earth, and he never changes, and he never forgets. He didn't forget Noah and the others inside the ark. What does this tell you and I, my friend? He said he would save them, and he did. He said he would save them, and he did. He said that he would destroy all those outside of the ark, and he did that.
Now over on the other side of the world from where we are is a country known to us on the Mediterranean by the name of Turkey. Now, we've probably heard, or you may have heard over the last several years, that there have been many attempts to find the ark, the ark that is known as Noah's ark on Mount Ararat. This is certainly an interesting possibility, and one day, hasn't happened up to now yet, but one day God may allow men to find that ark there, there that's sealed in the ice. Now, there have been many reports about it, many evidences of its existence, but we've not yet been allowed to see the, thing, the whole thing for ourselves. But you know, the thing we need to remember is that regardless of whether or not the ark is found, the account of Noah and the ark and the great flood is true, my friend. It's historical record. You see, many scientists now see that the biblical record of the flood is true scientific explanation for the great number of fossils and remains of animals, such as the dinosaurs and other now extinct animals. You see, their fossils are locked into the rocks of great caves and grave mountains, and the more geological formations are showing itself all the time to prove that the Word of God is true. The flood also accounts for many geological formations that were once thought to be uh, thought of in terms of re evolutionary process. But evolutionary process is not the fact, my friend. The more we learn about the Bible, the more we realize that God's Word is an amazing and accurate and a scientific record of historical fact. Now we see God's loving care to, and promises to Noah and his family as God does not turn his back on them or leave them to themselves there. He continues to communicate with them. He continues to give them his instruction and his desires. Read with me in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Once again, God gives his intimate instructions to mankind. He tells Noah now that the earth is yours, that you and your sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, have control over all the animals and the birds and the fish. And just as he had given it to Adam in the beginning, he now gives it to Noah and his sons. You see, Everything in the world belongs to God. It was his to give, and he gave it to mankind to take care of for him. God is so faithful, he never changes, you see. He keeps his word, and that was what he had given to Adam and Eve to take care of, and now he gives that same charge to Noah and his sons and their families. God delights in communicating his truth to us, and now he communicates in a way that will cover not only from Genesis time, but proves right up to where you and I live today. Read with me in Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 to 15. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I will make between you, me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, 
and that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become flood to destroy all flesh. God delights in communicating with mankind. He wanted to communicate and did communicate with Adam and Eve. He communicated with Cain and Abel. He communicated with Seth. He communicated with Seth's ancestors, clear up through Noah. And now he's communicating with Noah and his family. And he's communicating with you and I, because God placed that rainbow in the clouds. And to us still today, it's the picture of God's faithfulness and the keeping of his word. Over the centuries, men and women have looked at that rainbow in the cloud and been reminded that God keeps his word, that the flood really happened, and that God really did cover the earth, and only those who were safely in the ark were saved. They were saved because they believed the record. They believed what God had promised, and they looked at that rainbow in the sky, and they said, God keeps his promises even today. Such was the hard attitude of David, who lived about 1,500 years after this time of Noah. And uh, in Psalm 104, he writes this. Verse 5 tells us, Who laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with the deep, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At thy voice, uh, at the voice of, the, of thy thunder, they hasted away. They go up to the mountains, they go down to the valleys, unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. David recognized that God keeps his promises, and he was reminded like you and I are that the promises of God are true when he looked at the rainbow in the sky. Now let's move along through Genesis chapter 10 and on into chapter 11. For here are important records of what actually took happen, uh, took place. You see, in Genesis 10, it, that chapter is often called the Table of Nations, the records of the generations of the sons of Noah. Here's the genealogy, script, uh, folks. Genealogy can trace people clear back from the time of Christ to Adam himself. The record is there. That record is not given any other way than the Bible. And it's an accurate record having been proven to be true, my friend. Now, while chapter 10 of Genesis is the table of the nations, we won't take a lot of time to study this particular chapter. It is indeed a truly amazing, amazing document. It's carefully composed because it was authored by God himself. This passage of scripture is so terribly important because this is how you and I trace our ancestry clear back to Adam right through Noah and this Genesis record of chapter 10. Now let's move along to chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. A considerable amount of time has passed now as we approach this chapter, reading in verse 1. And it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, and as they found a plain in the land of Shinar, they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may reach to the heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the whole earth. 
Many years had passed now since God had saved Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives from the great flood. Once again, many people lived on the earth. The majority of the descendants of Noah soon forgot about God's terrible judgment of the earth by the flood. They deliberately ignored God. They refused to consider his will for them, and they did not want to know or believe or, uh, about the Lord. They didn't want to uh, humble themselves before God and accept God's way of worship and accept God's way, the only approach to him. They were like Cain and his family. They were not like Abel and Seth and Noah and those who believed God. They were under Satan's control. And like Satan, and they were like Satan in their thinking. They wanted to be great and exalt themselves. They were not interested in knowing or worshiping or trusting God, nor obeying his word. Um, you see, these people were the people that were our ancestors. They'd heard about the flood, and they knew that God was their creator. Every day and every night, they could see his mighty power revealed through the things that he had made. God had also continued to show his faithfulness to his promise to never destroy the earth again by a flood, by putting the rainbow in the sky. They didn't have any excuse for not believing God, but they would not give God the place of honor which he deserves or thank him for life, for health, for sunshine and rain and food. They deliberately turned away from what they knew to be the truth about God, and their minds became more and more evil, more and more foolish. They made images of people and worshipped them. They worshipped animals and birds, and finally they worshipped snakes and other reptiles as well. Here we see the work of Satan himself as he continues to fight against God and his will. Satan is a liar, my friend, and he's a deceiver, and he hates man. He hates you. Make no mistake about it. You see, Satan was leading our ancestors in rebellion against God and his will. Satan wants people to worship false gods. In many primitive societies, they still worship the sun and the moon and the stars of the birds and the animals. I've witnessed per personally in many cultures of the world where people actually worship the sun. I've watched one culture in Mexico as they throw food up into the air, believing that they're feeding God, as they worship God, the sun, and that is the S-U-N, not S-O-N, you see. They believe that their deities are the sun and the moon and the morning star. They have a false belief about it because Satan has lied to them, and and he customs and crafts uh, his deception to the culture of a people no matter where they live in the world oh i've watched as blood of animals have been spilled out on the ground and the food cooked after that uh, animal has been killed the blood was handled in a special way in many different situations and then the food was offered in various ways to the spirit world I've watched as people have taken that food, rice and, and meat and various things, and even blood raw, and put it on the image of what they figured was one of their ancestors, an image that they had cut out of just a plain old log, that they'd imaged, that they'd carved and crafted in a special way to represent their family. In fact, in the village that I lived in, Every family in the village was required to have an image that stood by the river to war against Satan and the evil spirits that would come up river and bring sickness and death. Knowledge of the true God had been lost. 
they believed the lies for so many years that when they knew God, they did not retain him, but gave themselves over to the worshiping of animals and reptiles and even idols of men. Now, friends, it's easy for you and I here in the United States to look at people who do these things and see their folly. But Satan is very clever. He knows the weaknesses of each culture, and he knows what lies will be culturally acceptable right even where we are. You see, even though we may not think we see people obviously involved in idol worship where we are, we do find that the horoscope is printed in our paper daily. We see people looking to the horoscopes and signs and different things, and their allegiance is not to God, but to the spirit world. We find people going more deeply into debt and sacrificing all of their time and energy, even their relationships, in order to keep up with the incredible pressures of our materialistic culture right here today. We see people centering their thoughts and their energies and their time on exalting themselves. Where does God fit into all of this? Oh, my friend, it's been lost. We've lost the concept of worshiping God. You see, worship has to do with giving our thoughts, our hearts, our resources, and even our very lives to serve the object of our worship. God and God alone is worthy of our adoration and our worship. Oh, my friends, Satan doesn't care what we worship as long as we don't worship the only true and living God. But he's worthy of our thoughts and our meditations, the resources and our very lives. He is the one who is worthy of our worship.